Father, make us the masters of ourselves that we might become the servants of others. Take our minds and think with them. Take our lips and speak through them. And take our hearts and set them on fire. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground. Firm through the fiercest drought and storms. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled and striving cease. My comforter, my all in one. Here in the love of Christ I stand. Do you know that song? We used to sing that song in prison. I've been in prison many times. I've never been incarcerated, mind you, but I went there voluntarily. And yet even though I was never there incarcerated, I counted up one time all the times I'd been in prison. And almost a year of my life I've spent in prison. So I know a little bit about prisons and the systems that undermine it. I know a little bit about the prisoners' lives and what they encounter there, and I know a little bit more because I once had a retired warden from Draper Correctional Facility in my parish, and he filled in a little details of things that I wanted to know about. What I've learned is that prisons are a dark place. We can probably all agree on that just from a cursory view. And hope is hard to come by. It's hard to find hope in prison. In Christ alone, my hope is found. People lose hope there because they see no exit, no way out, like John Paul Sartre wrote about. The people of Israel had hope. They went through terrible things. Someone like the people in, Yugoslav or in uh, Ukraine are going through right now. The, the people of Israel went through that numerous times. And they were looking for a Savior, for a Messiah, prophesied by the prophets of old. But it didn't start with the prophets. It started with this story that we read today in the book of Genesis. This is about the third time that God has come to Abram. He was Abram at birth. His name later changed to Abraham. And God says to him, Hey, Abraham, uh, Abram, we're going to make you a great nation. We're going to bring forth children from you that will be more than the stars of the sky. And Abram says, Well, wait a second, Lord. You came to me when I was 75. I'm getting a little long in the tooth now, and I, I'm really concerned. How's this going to happen? The only heir I have is Eliezer, and he's a slave. God says, no, pay attention here, Abram. We're going to make this happen. Abram says, okay, can you show me something? Just give me something to help me hope for this. And so God says, okay, you make a sacrifice. So Abram gets all these animals. You just heard it, the story. 
He cuts them all up except for the birds. He lays them all out, lays them out. And you may have missed this little part. It's a little comic relief in this story. Imagine Abram, if you will, wearing a tunic, something like this. And the birds of prey come down to get the meat that's on the ground. And Abram is running around going like this all over the place. You can imagine Abram is pretty frustrated at this. Abram knew about real life just like you and I know about real life. He knew that life is messy, that things happen. These birds are trying to get this sacrifice. No, Lord, Lord, I want to give the sacrifice. <coughs> it says that Abram at nightfall falls asleep. And this dreaded darkness comes upon him. Did y'all hear that? A dreadful darkness. Horrible, dreadful darkness. Uh, think nightmares, only worse. Have you ever had a dreadful darkness come upon you? Have you ever felt like you were in such a dark place that it would never end? Perhaps during this pandemic, right? Two years we've been into it. Perhaps there are moments where you thought, Lord, help me see hope out of this. Your relationships were twisted and turned. Maybe perhaps divisions over the politicalization of all of this. <coughs> Certainly divisions in the political sector. Perhaps a family situation became untenable or some situation at work. Perhaps a relationship gone better. You begin to realize you were living a lie and you found yourself in darkness. Not just any darkness, but dreadful darkness with no exit. <clears throat> people in prison feel this every day. The people of Israel felt it from time to time when they were wandering around the wilderness, when they were exiled. <clears throat> Is there any hope? Hope. In the movie Shawshank Redemption, some of you have seen that movie. It's a movie about a prison, Shawshank Prison. There's two lead characters. There's Red and Andy. <coughs> Andy has been in prison for a crime he didn't commit. If you ever go to prison, you're going to find out most of them will tell you they're in there for a crime they didn't commit. But Andy was really, truly there for a crime he didn't commit, and he had hope that he'd get out. Hope. One day he was talking about hope, and Red, who'd been there his whole life since he was a little boy, I've met, met many prisoners that had spent their whole life in prison, in and out. I met one that was in prison when he was 14, and when I met him, he was 60-something. Red says, hope's a dangerous thing. Hope is a dangerous thing. Don't mess with it. It'll hurt you. It drives men crazy, Red said. But Andy held firm. He said, one day I'm going to get out of here, Red, and I'm going to go to a place, and you're going to get out too. And when you get out, I want you to go to this special place. He tells him where it is on the road somewhere in Massachusetts. Go. There'll be a, a wall there, and there's a rock there that's different from all the other rocks. Go there. I'm going to leave you a message and some hope. So Red goes there, and he gets finds the canister that Andy left there and there's a note in it and it said, Red, hope is a good thing. It may be the best of things and good things never die. 
Hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things. But sometimes things get so dark we can't see the hope. The people of Israel had gotten there. Some of them had become complacent. Well, perhaps they were precursors to the deist. God kind of left us on our own. We're doing good here. We've got, everything's good. We, we'll just kind of forget about God. We'll take care of this ourselves. We get that way sometimes when life is cushy and then something breaks through and we all of a sudden begin to wonder. This is the second Sunday of Lent. Lent is a time where we begin to look at ourselves seriously as human beings and we begin to see our need for a Savior. Hope. Hope is a good thing. Maybe the best of things. The people of Israel had hope, and then Jesus comes on the scene. They received him with open arms and began to... No, they didn't, did they? Especially these people in the story today, the Pharisees, they come to him. Every time we read about the Pharisees, except for one time when he's eating with them, <laughs> they're dogging Jesus. They're trying to get rid of him. They're trying to trip him up, get him in trouble with the Roman authorities. And they come to him in this story today, and some commentators want you to believe that these are benign Pharisees, people that actually had some favor with Jesus. But look at the story as it's read. The Pharisees say to Jesus, get out of here. Herod's going to kill you if you go to Jerusalem. They're trying to get rid of him. Doesn't this sound a whole lot like Peter when he denied Jesus? Remember what Jesus said to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. You're on the side of men, not of God. These men are trying to do the same. They're trying to get Jesus to shut up, go away. You're disturbing our life. We got it made. We got everything going. Don't make trouble. Jesus was such a troublemaker. And he says, he says to him, look, you go tell that fox. I'm doing the work of the Lord. I'm doing all these things. There's healings going on. People blind, blind are getting sight. There's demons being cast out. I'm going to keep doing that. And then in a little while, I'll get to Jerusalem. So you can go ahead and kill me then. <clears throat> but he wasn't afraid of Herod. If you pay attention to the story later on, Herod tries him and finds no fault with him. Herod could have killed him anytime he wanted to. He killed his cousin, right? And he's saying to him, look, 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 see the things that I'm doing? But they couldn't see it. We read in the fourth chapter of Luke's gospel where Jesus goes after the story we read last Sunday, the story of the temptation, he goes to Nazareth, his hometown. He reads from the scroll of Isaiah this story about the jubilee year, the time when God will come and restore the rightness of people in Israel to what he has called them to be. The, he the healings will happen. Demons will be cast out. It's happening right now, Jesus is saying to them. It's happening. Pay attention. And then he says, Jerusalem, he's lamenting over Jerusalem. I wish I could have taken you under my wings like a hen takes her chicks. I wanted to, but you didn't, you didn't want to. That's the human condition, really. We have a will. 
That's one of the things that separates us from the other parts of the animal kingdom. And we place our will toward other things, other people, things with no substance. That's what many of the inmates do that makes them lose hope. I was once in Limestone Correctional Facility just down the road. It was Saturday at Cairo's Prison Ministry Weekend, a day in which we talked about forgiveness. The whole day spent talking about forgiveness. And this one young man, me, I was a clergy on staff, and that was my role, to listen to people when they came to me for counsel, for confession, for prayers. And he came to me, he said, I need to talk to you. He singled me out of all the clergy. He said, I don't believe I can be forgiven. And I thought and said to him, everybody can be forgiven. That's the message. And he said, no. And he began to tell me a story. He unloaded on me. And in the course of that moment, he revealed all these horrible things he'd done, including murdering both of his parents. The whole time he's telling me this story, I'm praying and, I, and I'm thinking, no, everybody can be redeemed. And I remembered my work in Tutwiler Correctional Facility in Wetumpka. Every month I would go in to death row and visit with Judy Neely. Some of you know her story. She did a horrible thing. She did lots of horrible things. And the worst thing she did was a brutal murder of a young woman. But when I met with her, I found her to be a child of God redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, someone that had been transformed by turning her will toward Jesus. We prayed, we read the Bible, we did communion every month. Why Judy? What she did was horrible. Why did she become a child of God, transformed? Why this young man? Why could he be transformed? Why Ab Abram? Why them? Of all the people of Israel, all those people living out there where Abram was, why did God pick Abram? As I was with this young man and I was praying while he was talking, I was praying for a word. Have you ever done that? You're with somebody, they're agonizing over something, and you want a word of God. You, you don't want your little pea brain to come up with something. You want God to give you a word. And I couldn't get anything. Nothing was happening. Nothing. And then this word did come to me. It said, you need some help, some people help. You got my help. You got that. I'm saying, Lord, like Abram, show me, show me, you know. And he said, no, you need some help. And so I went and got two other clergy. I let the inmate pick them out. He picked out the first one, a Catholic deacon. He looked like he was straight out of Easy Rider. Long hair, leather jacket, big billfold with chains on it, boots. He drove a Harley into the prison parking lot. He picked him, and then he picked this Methodist minister who had lived life and had many bumps and bruises like I did from the school of hard knocks. He wanted him. So I went to him. I said, now here's the story. This guy does not believe he can be redeemed, does not believe he can be 
forgiven. We're going to pray with him. We're going to go to the chapel. He said, but, but they said, okay. I said, but we're not going to pray for him because he doesn't believe. Remember that. He doesn't believe. He has no hope of forgiveness. We're going to pray for us. And I said, I'm going to show you how to do it. And so we went to the chapel, just a makeshift little area created in the gymnasium with a few chairs, a sheet around it, a little table, a candle, a picture of Jesus, a cross, and a little cross you could hold in your hand. And I got down on my knees and I began to pray about all those horrible things I'd done in my life. And trust me, I've done many. I prayed about those times of darkness that I'd chosen to wallow in. I prayed for those times when I'd turned my back on God and trusted on my own devices or some other. By the time I finished, I was exhausted. I got up and I turned the, gave the cross over to the Catholic deacon. He got down on his knees. He began to do exactly the same thing. And I watched the inmate. By the time the Methodist minister started praying, the inmate's eyes had cheered up. There were tears coming down his cheeks and his face. And then the Methodist minister finished. He said, I want to try. He said, I want to believe. I want to have hope. And he got down on his knees and he began to pray. It was the most powerful experience of that weekend. Perhaps one of the most powerful experiences of my whole life because I knew I was in the presence of the holy. Why him? He had done horrible things. He killed both his parents. Why Judy? Why Abram? Right? Why? Why those? What did they have that was special? What was the gift? Because God says he wants to give us a gift. He wants to make it happen. Here's the gift. Paul tells us that Abraham became the father of a great nation because of faith. He had faith. Faith is not something you can earn. Faith is a gift. Faith is something that happens when you have an encounter with the holy and you recognize it as such. You turn your will toward that. and You say, I will. I want that. I want that all the time. That's what happened to that prisoner. That's what happened to Judy. And that's what happened to Abram. Faith. Hope is a good thing. It may be the best of things. And good things never die. But Andy, Jesus does die, doesn't he? These same people that are dogging him all the time, it wasn't Herod, it wasn't Pilate. It was those people that were chosen by God. The chosen people turned on Jesus after they said, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which we'll say on Palm Sunday, and say, Crucify him. Wasn't it? They were the ones. They were the good church-going people. Well, synagogue back then, but that was the people. They did it. So Andy, no good thing ever dies. But we know that's not the rest of the story, is it? We know there's more to the story. And we have hope. We have hope, and we have that lucid quality faith given to us by God. In Hebrews, we hear that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. If it's anything else, it wouldn't be faith. It's a gift of God. It's the gift that God wants to give us today, no, what, no matter what darkness we're in, no matter what's going on in our lives, we can turn our will toward God, 
and God will show us a way. God will show us a way out of the darkness into the light, and that's good news. Those with ears to hear, let them hear.